in five, four, three, two, one. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Moon Tea Podcast. Today we have Dr. Lin. Hugh, can you uh Dr. Lin introduce can you introduce <laughs> us, please? Hey Dr. Lin, so glad to have you on. So basically, Dr. Lin and I randomly met at West Coast Swing a few weeks back and we began talking and one thing led to the next and now Dr. Lin is here with us, gracing us with her presence. I'm so excited to have you on, to be very, very honest. Mm, well, thank quick... you. I'm delighted and excited to be invited. Yay. So a quick thing, a quick tidbit that I've learned so far, and we have so much to explore and uncover and learn from, to be honest, of Dr. Lynn, is that she is an MA, an MBA, a PhD, a founder, CEO, and something that I'm very curious and learning more, and I'm sure most everyone else will be too, is She's a positive corporate leadership systems trailblazer. What does that mean? Let's hope we find out. But I think we all have a pretty cool gist of Dr. Lin, A, being incredibly kind to come on here, and B, being a rock star. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, on the dance floor, yes. <laughs> I've never been Oops, introduced excuse that my way. friend. Well, where would you like to start? Well, um, well, I think something that John and I like to, to usually ask you after our intros is, do you have anything else you'd like to add on a bit to maybe add in um, or not? We can keep going from there, too. <laughs> well, I grew up um, in the military, so multidisciplinary, multinational, multilingual, multicultural, multiracial, multi-everything, multi-food, multi-architecture. It was very interesting, and my parents had a positive view of it, so we never felt, I I never heard my parents complain about having to move all the time or anything like that. Of course, they pack up for you. Um, So it, it was really amazing as a childhood because I got to do things like I spent a whole year playing in one of the castles in Bavaria, built by Mad Ludwig, who their emperor who who destroyed their treasury, building all these fantastic castles. And one of them was oh. my playground for a year, you know. And no, I, only, it was just the backyard of a castle. <laughs> yeah, really, exactly. It was a, on Chiemsee, the largest lake in Germany. And my dad was in charge of the big hotel there. And um, because of that, the, the paddle boats went out from there and the tourist boats went out from there. And so they knew us, and we just got to hop on the tourist boats and go play in the castle while they were doing their tours. We never did any harm. You know, we were good kids. and But it was so much fun, so wow. much fun. So that's just one example. And then, of course, being going to the great cathedrals and traveling all around the different countries, and it was fascinating. I just I felt very at home because my parents had a positive attitude. So I was very fortunate. Yeah. And and where are you living now? I am in, here in Arizona right now. It's uh, the only place that, I've ever called sense. home. Yeah, really, I traveled so much as a kid, and then I traveled so much in consulting. And now I'm just here. I've never lived in a house longer than five and a half years before, and I've been in this house for, oh, 15, 16 years already. Cool. I've never had roots before. <laughs> I love this. Wow. Wow. I suppose it was inevitable that I would end up in the field of change since I lived a life mm. of constant change. 
hmm. and liked it. And interesting. I'm actually curious to expand there. I know that you know, one, you're an incredible dancer, and I, from what I remember, you know a lot of different styles, and there's an amazing upbringing and story about that. I'm kind of curious about how that is. I, I know that that possibly tangents into your story about change and what you're now doing as your life's work and your purpose. I'm kind of curious, where would you like to start first? I know that there's a bit of an awesome background on how your dancing played a major uh, role in that. Thank you. Yes, it definitely did. I was when I was two, I would say to my mother, who was a professional keyboards player and singer, I'd say, don't sing anything, mom, just and don't play anything, just play. And and so I would dance and dance and dance and dance and dance. And I'd say, thank you, mom. And then I go back out and play. So that was when I was two. When I was three, she knew being she had she is the sixth generation of musicians before me. So needless to say, music is in our DNA, and she knew immediately I had to dance. So when I was three, she put me in ballet, and that was in New York. And then I grew up on ballet, tap, jazz, uh, contemporary lyrical, and then by the time I was in middle school, we were doing East Coast and cha-cha, and then in um, when I was in graduate school, jazz and musical comedy dance got me through my doctorate which was a very difficult process, which I'll come to a little bit later. Uh, but I grew up, and then um, when I was, uh, when I graduated with my PhD, I competed in Hustle when I was a kid back in the day in the Boston, New York area. New York Hustle, it was a big deal back then. The music is no the way. most fun music. Really? Absolutely. I had a partner. We were both tall and blonde, and we had black outfits with shiny tops, you know, and the 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 lights would hit our hair and you know yeah we did well it was fun and the guys from New York would come up on the weekends and dance with us and I would bend over completely backward in a U-turn and I had upside down lifts and oh we it was so much fun really they wouldn't let me go home you know I was out till three in the morning dancing (laughs) and I don't don't drink so there wasn't you know no drinking no drugs nothing like that was super healthy so you know it was just a blast I had so much fun I to this day I love hustle and my hustle is still good I'm telling you so all of that creativity I think and then mother of course my dad was gone a lot of course but mother was not only musical, but very creative and very intuitive. And so that put a stamp on me early on. So by the time I got into my fourth degree, um, all of those degrees that I got were intuitively guided because I'm a fourth generation intuitive on her side of the family. And that was normal for us. Uh, it was, there was no workshops or tapes or anything back then. And, and her family didn't have any money. They were just very practical. Uh, they would use it to save trips on gas, you know, save money on gas, fewer trips to the store. And, you know, they were telepathic with each other. I was telepathic with my mother and when you have that kind of love connection and you're intuitive and spiritual and creative and musical, that's kind of normal behavior for us. So we just, unfortunately, for a long time, I took it for granted until I got further along in my life and I realized I shouldn't be doing that. Um, and I'll come to that later. But, you know, my dance training and from all these different places, too. So you add all these layers together, New York, I had training in New York and L.A. and and Heidelberg, and <laughs> I mean, wherever we were, you know, I danced, or I sang, or I played the piano. I was in a singing girls group. We did, we played country clubs and everything when I was in high school. 
the places where you could go if you were underage, you know. And so that was really fun as well. So by the time I got into my fourth degree after my two degrees in economics and MBA from the University of Chicago, very tough school, but very, very wonderful. And then I had a master's in psych. So I was getting my PhD in leadership and organizational change. And I was one of the requirements for this degree is you have to be trained as a group facilitator. And in order to do that, it's a months-long program. And we were required to go through one of those programs. And I went through three of those programs, of course, being me. So I was really solidly trained. But in the third one, I kept getting this pain in my solar plexus, a physical pain. Now, I had already gotten into holistic health and super healthy living a few years before, so I knew I wasn't ill. And so I asked my intuition, which is my normal everyday companion, you know, from my family history. I said, what is wrong with this picture and what do you want me to do about it? And I got a clear paragraph, as I always did. What's wrong with this picture is that everybody's focused on what's wrong with each other and real leadership and change begins with focusing on what's right with each other. And I am telling you, I was so shaken in such a good way. Every cell in my body was filled with light and said, yes, that's it. I get it. I get it. You know, and, um, and I was so taken by this. I didn't grow up being appreciated verbally all the time, and nobody in my generation did. You know, the whole personal growth, interpersonal awareness uh, way of living didn't happen until the next generations. And so... Um, what happened in these groups was that everybody was giving each other negative feedback and there was no positive feedback. And so I got this intuition about positive feedback being the core of everything, you know, appreciation of your strengths. And I had a two-day-a-week, this was my rent and food money, consulting job at a local company while I was getting my doctorate. And I was teaching at the university and I had a private practice. I had to work my way through school, so I had a lot going on. And I decided, of course, being a behavioral science type, that not only it's great to have intuition and you also need data verification. Okay, So I needed to try this on this consulting management team I was working with in my part-time consulting job, which, is, which I did. I tried it. And you have to visualize this team. They were all guys, seven or eight men. Yeah. And they were really scared. They were looking at the floor. They were hunched over to protect their solar plexus, so hardly breathing. You know what fear looks like. And they were not afraid of each other, but they had been asked to do something that had never been done before in the world, much less their country, their industry, or their company. And they had no guidance from senior executives on how to do it. Classic. <laughs> Talk about scary. It's super scary, huh? Really? <laughs> so oh, I, gave, I gave the team leader one piece of highly skilled feedback. And we did have excellent training on feedback in the doctoral program, even though it was all on how to give negative feedback to do the least possible harm, which looking back now was ridiculous, but I'll come to that more later. But there was no training on positive feedback, but I had enough skills to figure it out. So I gave him some really lasered, supportive, positive feedback. I was completely unprepared for what happened next. I mean, I figured it would be good for communications and teamwork and trust and all that. I had no idea, really. He was completely physiologically transformed. 
And mentally, I'm sitting there with my mouth hanging open, not physically, but mentally. And I watched him, and he went from being afraid, dull in the eyes, hunched over, to sitting up straight, sparkle in his eyes, breathing well, making eye contact with everybody in the team, which they hadn't been doing at all. (laughs) And I just waited. And I knew enough as a facilitator to use silence. So I waited. And my boss who was there and who was also making interventions, for some miraculous reason, you know, I'm sure it was angels uh, keeping him quiet. He didn't intervene either. So I got to see the impact of this. Every other man on the team went through the identical physiological transformation, even though I had not spoken to them at all, only one appreciation to him. You could have knocked me over with a feather. I was thrilled, but I was shocked. I had no idea there was this much power in positive feedback. And there was no research. I mean, they made me do my literature review for my dissertation, my doctoral dissertation on negative feedback because there was no research on positive feedback. That's what I was up against, okay? The whole consulting model back then was I'm going to find out what's wrong with you and fix you and your company. And my model is just the opposite. I'm going to find out what's right with you, get everybody to see and appreciate each other's strengths, and then I have all these systems to take those to your bottom lines and your company. And they were thrilled, and I was fired. My boss fired me for doing that. Whoa. Now, I was really (laughs) shocked. No, can you believe it? For, for, for For doing the best, and my interventions were better than his. I mean, I had a better, more positive impact. He had already been working on them with no avail before I said what I said to that team leader, that appreciation. And I was shocked. And I said, excuse me? You're firing me? And then we had a conversation. And he, and I told him very professionally, very calmly, and very quietly the impact he had. And it was not positive, but it, but I wasn't angry. I didn't have, there was no drama. I was a totally professionally trained consultant. And he looked at me, he said, I had no idea. And I said, you have never asked us for feedback. He, saw me, he said, we need you here full time. I need you to come on full time instead of two days a week. Right? So you think about that and you think, wow, she did a major turnaround there, but wait, there's more because there was a hook, there was a trick, there was a game. At that time in Boston, and I had interviewed with all the big consulting firms asking for a part-time job, and every person I interviewed with, they were all men, every person said, no, we need you 60 hours a week. You'll have to give up your doctorate. And he said the same thing to me. You'll have to give up your doctorate. And here's the hook. Every one of them that I talked to was all but dissertation. They had never finished their doctorates, and they did not want some smart, uppity, blonde female to finish hers when they had not finished theirs. And there was a classic game played on women in organizations at that time, among others I won't go into. And I had been trained in that at the University of Chicago uh, by a woman scholar who was aware of all that. She was a sociologist. She taught me all about male-female dynamics in organizations. So I was prepared and also, I, re- I said to the boss who was firing me and then asked me to come on full-time, I said, let me think about it. 
because the whole thing was so unexpected. I wanted to make sure I did a good job, and I thought about it. And I went back a couple days later, and I said, I'm resigning, and I understand the game you're playing on me, that you don't want the lady to finish her Ph.D. when you haven't finished yours. It's a common game played in organizations. And I said, nothing is going to make me give up my doctorate and my purpose and my passion, because what he did not know was that when I saw that team react, I knew that was my calling. I knew it. I knew that work had been given to me to do uniquely, and it was mine to do. It was my responsibility on the planet to do it, and I made an immediate commitment to say yes to that when I saw the team leader and that whole team physiologically transformed. I went, holy moly, this is huge. You know, I mean, and and little did I know, I mean, even though I had that awareness at that time, it was a fraction, a tiny fraction of the impact I would be able to have later. And so I turned him down, and the graduate students were horrified. You gave up your rent and food money job, you know, have you lost your mind? I said, look, I have staff and line management experience and an MBA from the University of Chicago. If I can't make a living, I don't even deserve to be in this program. Well, they didn't like that either, of course, because they couldn't make a living. So they were academics. See, the difference about me is I'm practical. I was in that program because I could get practical training as a consultant. I knew it was not my purpose to be an ivory tower type, but a real change agent. And I had to fight for that because when you're a good student, when you're a top student, they want to make you over into their own image. They want to clone you. Well, I am not the type to be cloned. I am my own person. And so I gave up that job. And within a very short period of time, the powers that be were wonderful to me. And I had my first, are you sitting down? Get ready for this. My first New York City Fortune 50 corporate client. Wow. Snaps there. Because I because I did the right thing and I his values were, his ego was more important than the client. And my values are the client is more important. The client is the, what the client, what you can do for the client is the most important thing. And he, we yeah. had such a culture gap, such a values gap. I couldn't work for somebody like that. That's a kind of selfishness. That's just not who I am. That's not what I stand for in the world. And so I had a wonderful time working with these people out of New York. And we learned so much together. It was so exciting. So, you know, when you do the right thing and you stand for your calling and your purpose, if it's given to you, and of course, I trusted that whole intuitive spiritual flow. That's how I was raised. So it was not, it wasn't scary for me. It wasn't like, oh, do I dare trust this? Or uh, fortunately, if you're raised to be intuitive and it's okay in your family, then you don't have to go through that racking self-doubt that other people go through. And, and, and from then on, you know, I was just so grateful and doing the dissertation was very tough because I really didn't know how to design it for a field in which there was no previous research. And I, I was like building the ship as I sail, right, building the cars <laughs> I drove. And none of my faculty could really help me. And for a long time, I thought it was because I was a woman in a man's field and it was, they were discriminating against me. But I also realized, and that was true, but I also realized later, and, and um, uh, my one brilliant, loving mentor who is a future visionary like I am said to me he said you realize you're 20 years ahead of all the rest of us and I did not realize that I thought they were just being sexist or not you know not able to catch on and because uh, they were academics and so I, I had to kind of backtrack on that a little 
but it turned out this positive practical approach just works great. And even though I had a hard time getting my dissertation done, again, you know, powers that be were wonderful, and they sent me this guy from Columbia University in New York who immediately understood why positive feedback was so important because he was work with his wife he was working on a book on the nature of competence how you how you become competent at something and he understood that you couldn't do that without positive feedback and so he was my savior he got me through my dissertation he literally held my hand all the way through my dissertation he put me in his wife's office in his house they had a big beautiful old victorian home with lots of rooms in it and so he and I would sit on this sofa with one golden retriever on each end and us in the middle, a tan sofa, right? You picture the colors, right? And he was like red hair and freckles and blue eyes, and I'm blonde with blue eyes. And it was like, you know, it was really a picture. I wish I had pictures. I didn't think to do pictures back then, but it was quite a picture, and that's how I got my doctorate done. And was, I was so exhausted. You cannot imagine. I was so exhausted by the end, you know, pushing a boulder upstream, basically. But I've been so blessed and so grateful because it's such wonderful work. I get to go in to companies and I get to look for their very best and teach them how to see their very best and how to appreciate their very best and then how to arrange all their leadership behavior around appreciation. And it, it, is, a, it is a blast and a half. I'm so, so fortunate. But, you know, it's because I followed no, I listened, and I paid attention, and I made the commitment, and I followed up on it. And a lot of people don't trust their intuition, and they lose out on a lot of good things because of it. But it was not easy. Let me tell you, it was a tough sell. I love millennials because they are the best. They get the positive leadership thing. They get all my positive health and wellness stuff. They like all my positive spirituality. And back then, I had no support except for this one professor and this one mentor who had already left the university, and he was the president of another university at that time. And in those two, they really kept me going, and I was very lucky. But it was 20 years. Can you believe this, Hugh? It was 20 years before studies came out to support mine. I, it's quite quite incredible, to be very honest. I mean, there's something that these days i'm kind of, i've been trying to learn more and more about on the daily to be honest just you know i know i know this is not a place to overshare or something but just this past monday at work i cried for 3 hours on a call with my three designers that i manage and i was struggling a lot and they were there to help me through things cuz i've been it's just an interesting thing overall what positive workplaces and positive feedback means and also positive and healthy management styles are and when one sees, you know, coming from a Hoff Asian background and understanding what intergenerational trauma is all about mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and passing down taboos where they taboo therapeutic practices and such. I think mm -hmm. there's also similar parallels in the corporate workforce and scaling startups too, that sadly mm -hmm. to me are really, really painful to see. And sometimes I do wonder what the line is of trying to affect positive change or even not knowing what I'm really understanding. And uh, okay, there's a whole conversation there, of course. So wrapping that up, just amazing to hear everything that you've been doing. And it's this positive feedback world. We've only touched the surface, I'm sure. And, and yeah, yeah, it's really, well, really Before I give you some specific examples, I'd like to respond to your points because I think you're raising some very important points. 
the fact that they would spend that time with you on the phone helping you, that would have never happened back when I was doing my doctorate. Um, manager, the manager as coach movement didn't come along till years, years later. So you are very fortunate to be in the generation you are to have that kind of help. And I totally agree with you about intergenerational trauma um, it, because trauma gets passed down in families, and it happens in every culture. Yeah. And one time I was, <clears throat> I used to belong when I lived in Seattle to a group called Global Nomads. It's no longer in existence, but it was those of us that were military kids or State Department kids or corporate international kids. And we had, we were now adults, but we had lived abroad for years and then come back home. And, you know, so this is all kind of reentry trauma and so forth. And one night in Seattle, they showed a film of a Japanese man who was being extremely strict with his teenage daughter, a very authoritarian and not nice. And, um, and the wife was trying to smooth things, but of course in that model she didn't have much power. And so when the film ended, there was so much awkward silence in the room, nobody said anything, and I said, oops, guess what, I'm the resident professional group facilitator, I better say something. So I said, you know... <laughs> That was my dad. I said, some some behaviors cross all kinds of national cultures, and the whole room cracked up laughing in relief. You know, but that that intergenerational trauma is really important to work out. One of my blessings was the mentors that I had, even though they weren't up on my positive change work, they understood the importance of doing your healing. Doing your healing work and whatever trauma you bring forward, you have to heal and clear it out so that you can be, they told us, totally present for the client. And that resonated with me so deeply because of my values about putting the client first. And, you know, I've done 30 years worth of personal growth and counseling and therapy and body work and holistic health work and spiritual training and, and you know, it just releasing and healing. And now is the best time on the planet. There's so many healing modalities available. It's just such a rich time to do your inner work. But that was one of the best things. And I really advise everyone, whether it's a client or a colleague or a friend, do your inner healing work because you can actually release. And this is a little bit metaphysical and energetic to get into. It has to do with the quantum field in physics. But you can actually greatly improve your family traditions going forward, your generations in your family going forward, and to some extent even backward, by doing your own healing work, you shift that intergenerational trauma. And it's very powerful to do that. I have done a lot of that in my family. And um, not working with my family as clients, because that, that never works. You know, uh, They don't listen um, be, as a professional because they're too close to you. But, you know, just doing it in the, in the energy field, in the quantum energy field, just doing your own inner work, it can shift things for the future of your family. And actually, the traditional Christians always also talk about this, which I find very interesting. They use different language for it. So whatever you're doing on that, kudos to you. It's really important. Hey, hey Dr. Lynn, um, thanks for thanks for sharing, um, by the way, lots of uh, really good information. What? What I'm kind of curious about is, um, like, number one, what kind of clients do you work with? Um, and then number two, um, do you have sort of like a, a process behind it? And then sort of follow up is, um, 
like how do you balance um positive feedback versus versus um what, what's the word the need for the need for correction um yeah i mean i've, I've also i've also found that there are instances where where positivity can be useful and then positivity can also be not useful because uh i know i know in my case in certain parts of my life there have been times where i'm sort of hopelessly optimistic and then it's you know it's something that it kind of works against me because I'll, I'll end up being like oh uh it's something that's like out of my control but i'm optimistic and then obviously it doesn't end up happening um mm -hmm. and so can you talk a little bit about um what that process looks like and then how you think about um like balancing um positive feedback and then like kind of like when to be a good listener and and like how do you how you break that all down sure happy to answer all of those i'll back up and take your questions in order um my, what kind of clients do i work with because my background is unusual and i'll cover that more in a minute i, I have narrowed my focus down to very uh, small market of clients so i'm not trying to be all things to all people and when I say my background is unusual, I work across six or seven fields of knowledge on a daily basis. And I have never met another consultant that has this scope. And, uh, you know, two fields in economics, my MBA for business strategy, my master's in psych, and then my doctorate in positive leadership. And there are four fields in there. There are actually more fields in there, but we'll just call it four. And then I have extensive training in holistic health education, not a medical doctor, but an educator. I've saved four lives doing that. That's a very important part of my work because you're, you're, you know, if your cells are not right, you can't think right and you can't lead right. And then I'm also trained in spirituality and metaphysics, technical and spiritual, um, and how you use those principles and those energy tools, if you want to call it that, to shape your destiny in your career and your company. And that's very important. And all my clients now expect that. They expect me to have spiritual awareness and spiritual skills. When I started, of course, you didn't dare mention it. They thought you were crazy. But now all my clients expect it. Um, even older ones, younger ones, they all expect it. So it's, it, that's a wonderful change. And then, of course, I have some skills in the personal growth arena as well. So it's it's a lot, and because of that, and, and also I confess this very seldom, but I am a science and math junkie. I just love science and math. Um, I grew up, as I said before, loving math, and I love science, and because of the discrimination against women, which worked very well for me actually, I could only get into the highly intellectual fields, science, technology, healthcare, engineering, energy, et cetera and the manufacturing and transportation type of industries were totally closed to me as a woman. And it just worked out perfect for me because those are my people. So the kind of clients I work with now, after many years in large corporations, um, also in science, technology, engineering, healthcare, are those companies that are large enough to have an executive team in place, fully funded, in revenue, and they have a science and technology solution to a major national or world problem. 
very high-end stuff. I have a very small boutique, high-end consulting firm, and those are the people that I work with. They're trained in the scientific method. They're very smart. They're very quick. Um, they they don't mind so much that I'm a woman. Um, there are some technology areas that are like that are anti-woman, but I stay away from those. And they want help, and they don't have the behavioral science training and skills, and they know they need that. And my passion is to give them a sustainable, positive leadership culture where they can grow without coming apart at the seams and without all the problems like Uber and Lyft had and WeWork and all these companies. They basically have gone through falling apart and having to regroup because of leadership and people issues. And uh, my work can prevent that. So that's um, that's the basic idea. Now, as far as processes... I use systems, and uh, I have 10 engine and four wheels, rubber meets the road systems to apply strengths to your bottom lines via the vehicle of teaching your executive team how to do that. And the first system is strengths awareness, so being aware of strengths. And it was quite amazing to me, and still is, that people seldom know their strengths and as you know, I started with the verbal appreciation, but I took for granted my ability to see their strengths, which is partly my professional training and partly my intuition. And clients would look at me funny, and they'd go, well, Dr. Lynn, how is it that you, we work together for years, but you see our strengths better than we do, and you've only been here a week. And I went, oops, I forgot something. <laughs> I have to back up and do the basics here. So I built my strengths awareness system to teach them how to be aware of each other's strengths. And then system number two is how you communicate about those strengths. And I'll come back to your unique question in a minute on that. And that is, what are the foundations of positive communication excellence? And how do you do that in such a way that you are credible and you're not whitewashing issues and you deal with issues? And so I have... Dr. Lynn's Rules of the Road, there are lots of those, and I tailor them to every client. There are a couple, but I don't allow, I'm very strict. I don't allow any put-downs of any kind, including all the isms, and I don't allow name-calling. And I don't allow lots of interruptions. In other words, it's basic respect, basic manners that I was raised with. And so once you have those on the table, then I tailor the rest of the rules of the road, Dr. Lynn's rules of the road, and they end up changing their behavior very fast. And the reason for this is because they are seen and deeply appreciated for their greatest strengths, their very best, and clients just bloom when that happens. The ones that didn't want to make change are now eager to make change. The ones that didn't feel like they were appreciated understand they're appreciated and they understand why. And I remember one executive team, and I have this in one of my manuals too, uh, where I was teaching at a leadership institute outside of D.C., two hours outside of D.C. in the mountains. It was beautiful in Charlottesville, Virginia, where I lived. And this guy came in with his team, and they were there a whole week, and he was tough as nails. The first thing he said to me was, I just want you to know I'm seven steps to the right of Attila the Hun. Wow. All right. He was tough as nails. They were all afraid (laughs) of him, and you could see why. But I was not afraid of him. 
because compared to my dad, he was a cream puff. So my dad, the colonel, right? <laughs> so he was a cream puff. My dad was a super fine military officer, and I'm so proud of his legacy. But the warm and fuzzy dad, not so much. So And I had stood up to him. I always had the courage to stand up to my dad. And he respected that. He respected that. So, so, so I, I, I threw these words back in a very rough voice at the client. My intuition was on the job. And I said, don't worry about it. I was raised by Genghis Khan. <laughs> and he, he jumped and he started, he startled. And he, I mean, he was a big guy, but he jumped and he startled and he unpuffed his chest and he settled down a little bit. I did not know my colleague who assigns teams to facilitators at the Institute had forgotten to give him my resume, and we had informal clothing as a code. So everybody was, no suits and ties allowed, you know. So uh, I I was there in my lavender sweater, turtleneck, lavender corduroys, lavender satin, designer tennis shoes, you know, blonde curly hair, not much makeup, you know, and he thought he could just walk right over this female, you know. Big mistake. So, so, and so I had to, I had to literally, and I've never done this before, I had to stand up and and use a magic marker to corral traffic as they spoke because every time anybody spoke, he immediately interrupted in trying to control every conversation. So after a while, the one woman said, I guess you can see we need help with our communications. <laughs> and everybody cracked up laughing. And so I did a little bit more what we call needs assessment. I asked them a few more questions about what they needed. And then I sent them out to enjoy the beautiful Virginia mountain spring day with all the flowers and everything. I said, I will be here for the rest of the afternoon. By then it was about 2, 2.30. And I said, I'll be here till 5 o'clock. And I'm going to design our whole week based on the input you've given to me. Because unlike my corporate clients, I didn't have a chance to go in first and do interviews. So this was kind of how I figured out what they needed. And and nobody came to see me except this one woman. And she was an Italian extrovert. And she was on tranquilizers because her boss completely ignored her. Now, anybody with half a brain knows you never ignore an Italian extroverted female. But he did not get the memo on that. And she was traumatized because he never paid any attention to her. But he was so critical of everybody else. And she just felt like she was left out and devalued and not worth anything. And so she was on tranquilizers for this. And I said, you know what? I'm going to get you off those drugs by the end of the week. Tranquilizers are deadly to your health, right? I, as a wellness educator, I knew that. So uh, so she looked at me funny. I said, not, not to worry. And she told me how people scattered in fear when he walked down the hall and they couldn't talk and they couldn't make changes and they weren't meeting their goals. And all predictable you know, because of his behavior. So the next day I put them into a whole round of appreciation. <laughs> Very risky intervention on my part. I mean, I don't know another consultant that would have done that. But I knew they didn't have enough trust to work it out, and they had to have a positive foundation first. So I'm answering your question now on how you balance when things don't work out, how you balance the positive. So uh, in this case, by the end of the day, and, and of course, the big risk is would he give any positive feedback at all? And would they give him any? You know, it was a huge risk. But I was just gently relentless on my agenda, and I had it all structured out. I won't go into that. We don't have time. But I had it all structured out, exactly what we were going to do and what the rules were and the guidelines. I had that all prepared. 
and I just wouldn't let them keep joking and staring at the ceiling and the floor and all the other you know attempts to avoid. And pretty soon, he was giving positive feedback with great gusto, just like he used to give negative feedback. And by the end of the day, they were all in what I call positive shock. And she found out that the reason he ignored her was because he thought she was the best manager of the lot and didn't need anything from him. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's a war. you know, this is the kind of misunderstanding that causes wars, right? And, and wow. they were both That's just dumbstruck by the level of misunderstanding and the miscommunication. You know, wow. and he, in front of the group, said, she is the best manager. If you need management coaching, you go to her because she is the best. And she was off the tranquilizers by Thursday. Ha! This is amazing. So, it was amazing, um, and and you have to have skill. I mean, don't try this at home, folks. If you're whoever's <laughs> listening, our esteemed listeners out there, you can't do this without skill. This was like consultant walking the tightrope. Everything I did, everything I said, every nonverbal movement I made had to be perfect to pull this off because it was risky. But once they had their positive feedback foundation. They were all calling their families. I'm sure they told their dogs how much positive feedback they got. They were so excited. And then the next day we talked, because they had the positive foundation of trust, then the next day we worked on changes they wanted from each other. And they were completely unable to make change before, but on this Wednesday, the next day, they were completely willing and had a long list of changes. We had the whole wall covered with the all the whole room, all the walls covered with flip chart pages about all the changes they wanted to make for each other. So on Thursday morning, they gave me a surprise and they came in looking really sheepish and self-conscious. And I wondered, what in the world? Why are they behaving this way? And they said, well, Dr. Lynn, we need to make a change, and, and we don't want to upset your schedule, but instead of doing another day on communication, we really need to replan our entire organization. <laughs> I was so proud of them. They had built so much trust, and they had set a positive foundation so well in such a short space of time. They had enough trust to do that. I mean, this is huge. And I was so excited for them, and I said, I think it's great. I'm so excited for you that you've come this far this fast. Let's do it. And so they left Friday noon with a whole new plan for their organization, and they hired me to do follow-up work with them, which I did, to make sure their plan was implemented the way they wanted it. And then he now, when he walked down the hall, everybody would gather around to get their positive feedback. And he was so tense and critical before because everybody was avoiding him because they were afraid. And so he always felt like he was uninformed, which he was, and couldn't get anything done, which he couldn't. But now it was just the opposite. And so now they would flock around to get his positive feedback, and they would tell him what was going on and everything. And it was quite amazing. It was a great turnaround story. So that's an example. You know, sometimes when things are not going well, you need a more positive infusion but some things that are out of your control. I mean, I was in an authority role as a consultant, so I could shape what happened. And it's very, very rare that clients will totally reject my ideas for what to do because I tailor to their needs. I'm not textbook. You know, there's no cookie cutters. So everything I do is, and that's a, that's a high level of consulting skill, which many consultants don't have. I have my intellectual property. I have my models. My systems are all track record proven, and they work great. 
but nonetheless, no two teams are alike, and so I customize for every team. And I wouldn't have done that same thing with every team that's come to me, but I, it, but it worked great with them. And so when it's out of your control, sometimes there's not much you can do. And you have to hold to your own principles and values. That's the most important thing. No matter how I've been pressured or clients have tried to co-opt me by hiring me as their subordinate, <laughs> that's always a fun game. And, you know, other games that people play on consultants using me as window dressing or a senior executive. I was working with him and his boss and his team. He asked me to work with his secretaries because he didn't want he didn't like my influence on the boss. I mean, there are all kinds of games. You stand your ground and you hold to your principles. And if you do that, your career will end up great. I won't say that everything is happy. Um, there have been two or three clients I could not change. Um, well, I have to revise that. There was one I couldn't change, and he was kind of the tricky, gamey type, and playing games with people, and I really couldn't change him. But... Um, I had, but his boss was a client, and so she exerted some leverage, but he never really went the distance. But everyone else who started out refusing ultimately turned around or came back years later. I had one circumstance where they completely rejected my, my. Um, they were had a crazy, everyone running around doing everything like Italian family leadership style. And they had been very successful getting product to market that way, but it was unsustainable. The stress level, it was just devastating. And they were medical people, and they didn't respect my holistic medical knowledge as a stress management expert. And I said, you may reject my idea for the kind of leadership you need now, which was not what they were doing. I said, but you, I have to tell you, I have to warn you, it's my ethical responsibility. You, your bodies cannot keep this. You will end up with serious illness if you do not make a change. And they didn't listen to me. Fast forward three years, because I had been working with a senior VP in this corporation the whole time who was levels above them, two levels above them. And he said, now they're ready to work with you. I said, what happened? He said, well, the one who was a medical doctor had a, fi had a heart attack, a five-way bypass, and was out for a year and a half. And the other one has an incurable neurological disorder. And I was so upset, but there was nothing I could do. It wasn't in my control. You can't force people to do positive change work. You can't. And so, but they did. They came back, but they were, they both had diminished capacity because of their illnesses. And it was very sad because they were super bright, super talented people. But they were stubborn and they were stuck in their mindset and they wouldn't listen to me. And I didn't, I have influence, but I don't have ultimate control. And their boss and I decided together, you can't force them. It would have been a mass rebellion. And, um, and we made the right decision, but the cost, their own stubbornness cost them terribly. So there are times when, but I have to say that's the only time that's happened to me in my career. I've been blessed with amazingly wonderful clients, super smart, super thoughtful, super respectful clients by and large. And so choosing who you hang out with, choosing where you put your job and your career energy, choosing who you have in your life um, is extremely important. I'm very picky about who I take as clients. If they're curmudgeons, they have to come and work with me in um, – in um, boot camp, positive boot camp, positive prep school before I'm willing to go in with them and their teams. 
Otherwise, they can do harm to their teams using my work, and I will never permit that. So if they're willing to come up you know, and work with me one-on-one, and it's not cheap, but it's quick. And so you know, three years of therapy is far more expensive than what I do in a few weeks. I am sorry to tell you you won't be able to to control everything. There is one thing that's really important, and I learned this painfully in my young years, early in my career, and that is be careful you're not doing what I call positive projection. In other words, I got into all this positive change work and positive spiritual development, positive wellness, and I was just radiating positive energy wherever I went, and I was just seeing clients transform and my students transform, and it was, you know, a brand-new field no one had ever done before, and I was so excited, I was so happy, and I felt like I was being a positive change agent. And what I did was I projected onto other people that they were like me. Big mistake. Big mistake. Do not do this at home, please. Can't wish for more for someone than they are willing to go for for themselves. So some people are still stuck in their old negative ways, and they could be of any age. It, it tends to be more in the older generations, but, you know, I've seen some younger folks like that too. And be careful who you hang out with, but because you you may be the one that's more positive or more growing or more mindful, more aware, maybe you've done more of your own inner work or you just grew up that way. And the people that you're hanging out with at work or at home or wherever are not like that. And you can be guaranteed of trouble unless they're committed to become more positive. And I learned that painfully in my personal life. And I strongly, I hope I can protect you from having that experience with these words because be very careful who you hang out with. Every day is a precious day. You will never get that one back. Do not waste it on negative people. And don't try and be their therapist, their coach, their counselor on an informal basis in your personal life because it never works. I tried that. Again, big mistake. I don't do that anymore. I have very few close friends because very few people are positive enough to be close to me and hold up their end of the positive chain. You know what I'm saying? The positive blanket, the positive blanket, the positive blankie. I love <laughs> it's really that. important. You're, you're knitting positivity throughout culture and people. Exactly. And that's my path. But that's And that may be your path, both of you, but that may not be the path that other people around you are on. So, you know, you can honor what their path is, but you don't have to spend time with them. And by all means, don't <laughs> let them make you negative. You protect your positivity with a fierce fence around it. I have to ask That's you a question I... here. I have to jump in for this. What if Go it's your manager? It. <laughs> what if it's Ooh. upper management? Wow. Well, I, will, I, will, I have two possible solutions to that, and I'm not guaranteeing either one of them because the manager, he or she, is in the power position. So yeah. the first thing is you can you can learn to use extremely high level precise positive feedback skills that don't just make your look make you look like you're apple polishing but really you're adding value to the work by doing so. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, and I have done this work and I did this work with a with a technology manager in a Fortune 400. She's since gotten promotions and moved on to higher level work because of the work we did together. But um, she was getting negative feedback from her manager, and it made her very nervous. She had just moved here. 
2,000 miles away, bought a condo, had a dog, settled in, and she was worried about being rehired for another project. So she was talking about nervous. And I worked with her on her positive skills and her positive positioning skills and her role clarification skills. And within a few months, not only was she rehired, she was put in charge of the highest level technology project for the entire company. I love that. Wow. And she started out in that lower power position, but she spent the time and money to come and work with me and build those skills. Now, she had an MBA from a top school, so she was already, in learning-wise, she was already an excellent student. Um, and she Amazing. applied things extremely fast and extremely well. And, um, you know, I, I saw her subsequently at a couple of events around town, and boy, She's a little bitty thing, but she stood tall, and her confidence level was so much higher, and her physical self-presentation was better, and and uh, so we worked on that. It really turned her around, and now she's in a high-level position in a cloud company and doing very well and loving it. So it's just really um, it's exciting, but if you want to do that, you have to have skills. You can't just open your mouth and hope you're saying the right thing because you could really be in trouble that way in a, in a lower power role. The second thing is if all that doesn't work or if you don't want to put the time or the money into that, then find another, find a more positive manager. The research shows very clearly that managers are the number one reason people leave companies. Yeah. They and, don't leave and, companies, and also, they leave managers. It's, yeah. I, it's, find it's a manager that difficult. can appreciate your strengths. Hmm. And there's Dr. now, there's, re mm -hmm. sorry, go ahead. I'm just wondering if you've ever written a book. I'm in the, pro oh, thank you. I am in the process <laughs> of writing 10. Of, and all the, they're really owner's manuals rather than books because books don't give you enough practical how-to. And but hmm. the owner's manuals give you a lot more of that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm doing two versions of 10 books, 10 owner's manuals. They're each book length between 150, 200 pages. And each one of them represents my engine and four wheels systems. So strengths awareness, strengths communication, teams and meetings, planning, delegation, um, major organizational change, including mergers and acquisitions. And then I have one on startups, startups and endings. That's in the same manual. And endings doesn't mean, endings might mean when you leave a company or when a team disbands and goes somewhere else or I've done a lot of that work. Layoffs, I've done a lot of that work too. And then there's one for crisis healing and turnarounds, uh, organizations that are, you know, collapsing or um, about to lose. One was about to lose a major multi-billion dollar market segment. And I turned that around very, very fast. That was very tough because the client wouldn't, the client wouldn't um, co co uh, cooperate at all, the executive client. And so... I did three weeks of complete inner metaphysical work in order to turn him around, and for some miraculous reason, I'm sure higher level beings that me were that me were work on it turned him around in three weeks. But it was a risk. He had to go to another company to get his promotion because he played too close to the cliff. He drove too close to the cliff. He wouldn't he wouldn't turn things around, and it got to a bad crisis. But and I won't go into the details. We don't have time. But. Um, so I have manuals on all these things. I'm working on those now. There'll be a, um, there'll be coming out soon. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I was, I was just going to say if, if you haven't started yet, uh, I think, I think there's a market for people who would want to read 
um, about your work and, and, uh, your philosophy and, and like, and like your experience working with different clients. So glad, glad to hear, glad to hear it's in progress. Thank you. Yeah. Each manual has lots of stories in it about working with clients. It's not just Siri. You know how I am about that. (laughs) Not just interested. (laughs) I have learned. It's been amazing. I'm trained in theory practice systems. You have your theory, then you have your practical steps, and they're integrated. So you really know what you're doing, and your practical steps stand on a good foundation. But theory alone is not it. Steps without theory is not it. It really takes both hanging together. And I love doing that. So It helps clients. It gives them so much more confidence. Um, wow. Yeah. Thanks so much. You... I, I feel like I feel like we could uh if you had a podcast I feel like I feel like you should be the one running the podcast because you have so much information <laughs> <laughs> I am delighted to be your guest thank you so much yeah um so one one question that we like to ask our guests is do you have any generic parting thoughts any words of wisdom um again generic but anything you have to yes, say i do i do and i thank you that's always a wonderful invitation a question to ask because i like to share uh, first of all you know put some time into knowing what your strengths are pay attention to those put a list of your strengths together nothing else just your strengths nothing negative this is not your values this is not what you like to do this is your strengths and read it every morning when you get up and every night before you go to bed. And I've done this with a client. It'll change your life. It'll give you a whole new lease on life. Your idea of what you can do will just double and triple. It's it, it's really fun. It's a really fun exercise to do. And uh, your list will keep growing, which is good, which is very, very good. And second of all, remember to hang out with positive people. Find a positive manager. If you're not able to change this manager, you get your skills together and you still can't change the manager. There are lots of positive managers out there. You don't have to be stuck with a negative manager. And I'm always sorry to hear that negative leadership cultures are still permitted, but they are, and there's still a lot of them out there. But it is changing. You know, millennials basically demand to be seen and appreciated for their strengths, and they're just out the door if they don't have that. So, um, that's a good thing. It really puts pressure on leaders to step up their game and become more positive. So hang with the positive, stay with it, and you know bring bring the ideas into your company any way you can, and you'll be better off for it. And you know pick a career that requires and supports you to be positive, and enjoy it. Have fun with it. You know work doesn't all have to be drab and difficult. It can be fun and and sparky and exciting and innovative if you have a positive lies, all lies. (laughs) No, seriously, I'm telling you, I speak from practical experience what my clients have achieved. I love this. It's so it's really it's been it's been honestly such an honor and a pleasure to have you on the podcast. It's thank you again. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thanks. It's been my yeah. pleasure and my delight. I I thank you for the opportunity to share. And uh, so, where can our where can our listeners uh, um, find out more about your work? 
They can email me, Dr. Lynn, D-R-L-I-N-N-E, at cox.net. Beautiful. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that is the perfect segue to capping out another amazing episode of the Moon Tea Podcast, where we talk about craft, community, and building meaningful careers. Thank you again, Dr. Lin, for tuning in and teaching almost anybody and everybody at least one thing. <laughs> With that, have a great week. Thank you. And thank you. Tune in next time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Take care.